Here we go, connect, all about connecting. And uh, the summer is a great time to connect with people, whether it's uh, outdoors or today might be more indoors. Uh, but rumour has it there'll be a bit of a picnic lunch out in the Helen Smith room afterwards, so feel free to, to go and grab some fish and chips, go to the supermarket, come back and share lunch uh, with us in the Helen Smith room uh, afterwards because, uh, well, at least the Pattinsons will be there. So, so come and join us and, uh, and, and play and have a good time. So, um, so that, that, that will, hopefully be, uh, will be, hopefully be a bit sunnier uh, next week uh, for us to head down to the beach uh, again. So I want to start um, this morning off with a bit of a, a story, a neat story that I heard. We all love stories. Uh, this story is about a guy who lived in the early 1600s, so a little while ago, and uh, I'll probably butcher his name, but his name was Hans Lippershey. Right? Anyone heard of Hans Lippershey before? No? Okay, well you, you would have heard about him uh, very soon. This is, this is him here. Uh, I left my brilliant neck piece at home, um, but this man is Hans Lippershey. And he lived in a place called Zealand. Hmm, as in New Zealand, but this is the old Zealand. This is the original Zealand. And uh, according to Wikipedia, that's in the Netherlands, so he lived there. And, and he was an eyeglass maker. And so he would make all of these different, um, you know, spectacles or things that, you know, to help you see and the rest of that. And he'd have this shop with the displays of all these different, you know, eyeglasses. That was his job. And there's a famous story that goes that one day, some children came into his shop and started playing around with all of his eyeglasses. And you can imagine they would have been doing all sorts of funny things as, as kids do, like make their eyes look really googly and big or their mouth like, and his initial reaction probably would have or should have been uh, to pick up the children and go, um, excuse me, uh, just you know, put them over the back, off you go, off you go, uh, because he, he's got these very... <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's my little prop there. Uh, because these are valuable things to play with. But he didn't shoo them away. Uh, he didn't do that at all. He, he watched and he observed and he actually learned something amazing. And what the kids were doing is they were getting two spectacles and they were doing these funny things, but they actually put them together and lined them up. And what they found is they were playing and mucking around in the shop is that they could see a, a building in the distance, far away, uh, a far away building, and Hans had this revelation and in turn developed the first telescope. And uh, so this, you, can, you can Google it, Hans Lippershey. And um, so he, he, just, he, he built this telescope and then uh, made a lot of money out of it. And the next year, the story gets even better because a famous man by the name of Galileo, who was just an all-round genius, he was an astronomer, a physicist, an engineer, a philosopher, a mathematician, and you'd feel pretty like, maybe not so intellectually giant next to this guy, but he picked up Hans' design and improved it and did something that no one had done before. Point the telescope up at the night sky and start looking at space and looking at the stars. And he made amazing discoveries from this new way of seeing. In fact, amongst other things that he did, he discovered that there were four moons orbiting around Jupiter. And I think, uh, uh, maybe Dave can correct me on this, but I think they're called the, uh, the Galilean moons of Jupiter. And he discovered they were orbiting, uh, orbiting around it. Now, to us, that's like a nice observation. There's lots of stuff in the sky, of course, you know, big deal. But actually, that challenged the very way that, 
you know, they thought about the universe and understand things to be, because back then, of course, everybody knew that the Earth was the centre of the universe and everything orbited and rotated around the Earth. And uh, so it would be ludicrous to think that something else in the heavens could be rotating around something else in the heavens. And Galileo, he had a, uh, of other people, he had this sort of idea that no, the sun was the centre of the universe and everything orbited around and this discovery like exploded in people's minds because it was a new way of seeing things. Now, I'm not really equipped to head this talk down sort of astronomy lines. This isn't, I mean, astronomy lecture. Uh, but the point is this. One playful, childlike act in a shop one day, and one man's willingness to, to observe and to learn and connect with children and, and play with them, helped to unlock a completely new way, not just to understand the physical world around them, but to understand the universe. It just completely gave them a new set of spectacles or a new telescope to discover amazing new things. I find that story so amazing, so brilliant actually. And it's very similar to a story that I just want to very briefly cover this morning, uh, which is a similar kind of story, and arguably just as, ex uh, as explosive and just as a significant moment in history. But one childlike act opened up a whole new way of not just seeing the physical world around us, but about understanding God and his character and his kingdom. And that's Luke chapter 18, uh, verse 15 to 17. So we'll just read through it quickly. One day, some parents brought their little children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But when the disciples saw this, they scolded the parents for bothering him. Just perhaps like Hans possibly could have, but didn't. Then Jesus called for the children and said to the disciples, let the children come to me. Let them play in my spectacle shop, he says. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. Other translations say the kingdom of God belongs to these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. That is an explosive story, a moment in history, where Jesus turns the cultural way of thinking completely on its head and says, no, you're not to shun them or scorn them or push them away as inferior. You are to embrace them, let them clamber all over you and climb over you because in that moment you will discover something about God's kingdom and his heart and his character. Now, we're probably fortunate to live uh, in, in an age where you know, children aren't sort of second-class citizens. We have great you know, things in our society to champion the needs and cause of, of, of children. Uh, but there was a prejudice back in, uh, back in Jesus' day that children were unimportant, were inferior, were lowly, were a distraction, were of much less worth than an adult, let alone the future king of Israel. I mean, this guy's a busy guy, say his disciples. You know, he's got work to do, send the children away. And Jesus' response turns everything on its head and provides an entire new way, an entire new lens of uh, a way of looking at things. Now, I don't know about you, but I personally haven't come across many people who hold this prejudice against children, uh, but I have seen it in a different way, not between an adult and a child, but between a manager at work and, um, and, and a labourer, I work in construction. Um, and thankfully, hello, let the children come to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, she's just laboring the point this morning. 
Um, and so we're, luckily it's not the company that I work for now, and it wasn't the company that I was trained as an apprentice, it was a different company. But there's this guy, and he's responsible for three, four hundred people, busy building site, multiple buildings going up on, on the place. This guy's phone would have been ringing hundreds of times a day, making pressurised calls, or, you know, lots of pressure and the rest of it. And, and there he is, and um, I saw him, I, I saw him one day, and a labourer came up to him. Now labourers are responsible for sweeping and cleaning and, you know, just generally doing lifting and whatever else people need to do. Uh, and, and this labourer came up to him and said, hey look, I need a pencil to do my job. I don't have a pencil. Do you know where one is? And this guy, like, you know, is responsible for the whole site. He sort of, you know, he sort of catches a few people's eye to get a bit of an audience going, and then proceeds to completely humiliate and mock and ridicule this labourer who just needed a pencil to do his job. And what it communicated was, I am important, you are of less worth, you're just a labourer, get in line, go and do your job. Now, we understand and know that someone's worth isn't you know, equated to their job title, nor is it equated to someone's age. But we know that we are all valuable because we are made in the image of God. That's where we get our value from. Uh, and so as a result, this guy had it completely wrong. And if he was in charge of Hans Lippershey's store, he would have missed the opportunity to find this new discovery, which then would have been passed on to Galileo and completely changed the way that the universe is understood. Just by simply having an incorrect value or opinion of, of somebody's worth. But Jesus is of the mindset that no, even the lowliness in my kingdom are the greatest. Jesus taught that all the time, didn't he? The, the least will become the first. And if you want to be the greatest, you need to serve the lowliest. That is the giant Mark 5 telescope that Jesus is willing to give to you this morning so that you can see things through a new light. And that begins with, as one example, of how we include and incorporate our children in our church family. Let the children come to me, he says. He provides an entire new way of looking at things. Now in Jesus' response here, I see two main points. There's Jesus, happy smile, kids clambering all over him. If Jesus was in our church, he probably wouldn't be sitting here listening to my sermon. He'd probably be out the back there, lying on the ground, drawing and doodling with the kids uh, and, and having fun with them. That was his heart, his nature. He just, kids love to be around him. So the two things that I see in Jesus' response is, number one, the kingdom belongs to the children. So love, welcome, value, and connect with them. That's the Connect Summer Series. And number two, unless adults become more childlike in their faith, they won't inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, there's something about the way we need to become childlike that is needed in order to understand God's kingdom and embrace everything he has for us. Now, here's the challenge. I believe the second point gets a lot of airtime in church. You know, you need to become more childlike in your faith. We've heard that many a sermon a time. But it is possible, I believe, to get the analogy, to listen to a preach, but all the while keep the kids at arm's length. Kind of thank them for the analogy. I need to become more childlike, but your smelly butt and your noise and your goobers and your distractions. You just stay over there and I'm just going to contemplate what it means to become more childlike in my faith. <laughs> now that might be an exaggeration, but it's to make a point. And that is this. It's just as much about understanding the kingdom belongs to children 
and loving and welcoming them and bringing them right into the family as it is about your theological reflections uh, uh, as a result of that. In fact, my challenge would be, unless you connect and welcome children and have them clambering and climbing over you like Jesus would have, you will never truly plumb the depths of the analogy that we are to become more childlike. And uh, I once received a prophetic word, and we all love getting prophetic words for ourselves because it's like, what is God saying to me? And this word pretty much said, hey, if you want to know more about me, if you want to know more about my kingdom, hang out with your kids more, play with them, have fun, and in that you'll discover amazing things. And I believe it to be true. You know, this prophetic word wasn't full of detailed analogies of, of God and his attitude towards me. It was, no, go and play with the kids, and you will experience something of my love. You want to talk about tasting and seeing. We had a prophetic word this morning. Well, you want to taste and see the love and the joy that God has for you. Spend some time with some children and, and how much joy they bring and that analogy will become more than just a, you know, a point on a sermon. It will become sermon in real life as you experience that joy and that love. So, my goal this morning is to encourage everyone to connect with and welcome the young ones we are so blessed to have in our community. I did a rough count this morning. We have about one-sixth of our meeting, even this morning, uh, is, uh, uh, you know, is children, uh, you know, about this high and lower, say. So that's a fair proportion of our, of our, our morning service uh, is, is children. So there's plenty of opportunity to do that. So, and that, that does reflect the truth that we believe that the church is multicultural. That's something that we looked at and will continue to look at, which is a great truth. But equally as true is that the church is multi-generational, isn't it? It's from birth to death and all ages in between. Now, the first objection that you might make, and I think it's a very fair one, is that practically some will be more equipped to handle children than others. And that's fine. Once upon a time, I couldn't change a nappy to save myself. In fact, one time I was really robust. I thought, yeah, yeah. And uh, my sister gave my niece and said, here, change a nappy. Never changed a nappy before. I opened the thing up, just about bathed, and my sister had to finish the job for me because I thought, Ugh. now I'm just like, whoa, 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 whoa. here you go. Um, and I understand what it means to not connect with children either. I used to buy my one-year-old niece toys that if I actually had read the back would say, you know, ages five plus. And my sister would go, yeah, I'll put these barrel of monkeys away till they're four, thanks for the gift, while, you know, while they're like six months old or something like that. So I get that, I understand that. But here's the thing, valuing, showing patience, welcoming and being inclusive of children is actually something that we can all equally express regardless of your practical ability to manage and handle kids. I'm not saying we're all going to be responsible for children. I'm saying it's about creating an environment where they are welcomed and they can be connected with. Now, in saying that, we always want to engage with children and we want to learn how to do it better and more. So I thought, well, what better than to go to our amazing kids' work team and ask them, hey, what are some practical ways that the church can show value towards children, connect with them, and welcome them into our community? Now, if you didn't know, our children's uh, ministry team is led by the amazing Simon and Rachel Garner, and also my lovely wife, Becca, who, who uh, manage and, and work so hard. And they are also accompanied by lots of amazing helpers as well. Um, so just give them a pat on the back and support them. And uh, anyway, so this is a little shout out to them 
because they've given some good practical advice on how to do this. So I'm just going to ramble these off. You can um, take what you want. You can uh, you know, maybe take a couple, couple of points and work on them. But these are really down to earth, rubber hits the road, practical ways that this year you can help uh, uh, connect with our, our kids' work, uh, our, our kids, sorry, and uh, make them feel welcome and loved and connected with. So the first one's this. Include them in worship. Include them in worship. Make it a safe place to, for them to jump and dance and twirl, you know, and, 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 and feel part of the family. Now, the summer is a little bit of an exception, but on a typical Sunday, we'd have a couple of songs and then the kids would go out the back. Have you thought that that is the only time on, on a formal church service that everybody is together at the same time? And so that is the only time where they can see an expression of what it means to be a full family all dancing and celebrating together. So the worship is a real critical time for the kids to feel welcomed and part of the family. And I would encourage you, jump, dance, twirl, do the things that you would love to see the kids doing and they will follow along. Even this morning I had a net, I was a little bit naughty and I, I put the net on my head uh, just to be funny, and then, oh no, next thing you know, all the kids are running around with nets on their heads. It's as basic as that. You want to see them, you know, livelihood and, and a vibrancy, hey, it starts just as much with the adults as it does with the kids. I remember I grew up in a Baptist church. Now, stereotypes are pretty dangerous, aren't they? You think Baptist church, dull, boring. You know, I loved being in this Baptist church, and I remember it to this day, I would run up and down with flags and banners and I'd jump and dance and twirl around as a little boy and I just loved it so much and it was because the, the parents and the adults laboured to make it a place where the kids are welcome and could express themselves in worship. And it is also a challenge for the, um, you know, for, the, for the bands and the worship leaders as well, really making those first couple of songs an environment where the kids can jump and dance and be involved in the worship is real critical and is the amazing gift that you guys can bring uh, to making that environment. Now, um, there is a time for, you know, for reflection and things like that, but to be honest with you, at the start, like, you see Levi at the back, and all he wants to do is twerk to Matt Redman. That's about as far as it goes. Like, he just wants to jump and dance and have a lot of fun. And kids have ants in their pants, and they express worship, not through a sombre reflection of great truths about God, uh, although I'm sure in time that will come, but they do it through the physical expression of, of jumping and dancing and running up and down. So, including in worship is a really key and important time. The next thing that I've got here is ask them what have they learnt at kids' work. What have you guys done today? Believe it or not, they don't just go out there and eat snacks and play with toys. The, 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 the team labours so hard to actually give them great resources, teach them truths about God. Wow, you made a whale. That whale is really big. That talks about the bigness and greatness of God. Those sorts of things. So grab the kids after the service and just, hey, what did you guys learn today? Now, don't always expect a theological response back. It might just be like, you know, I made this thing. Wow, that's so amazing. Yeah, to a three-year-old, the little art and craft that they've made is more important to them than like your entire month of world news and dramas at work and everything that's going on in your life. Just look at it, wow, that's so amazing, and celebrate it and dote over this amazing thing that they've done. So talk to them after the service and ask them, hey, what have you been doing? Now, a little tip for this is, is get on their level physically and mentally. 
Now, you know, when I'm to, you know, you don't sort of cower over little kids. You get down at their level. Wow, that's so cool. I really love those shoes. I wish I had purple shoes like that. You know, it's, it's that sort of thing. Getting, you know, getting down at their level and, and, uh, and mentally as well. Now, we have a little thing in our house. We'll have dinner every night at the table and we'll ask each other, hey, what did you guys do? Uh, you know, how was your day? What did you guys do today? And now, if I had a concrete pour at work, I'm not going to say, you know, oh, hey, Lucy, uh, I had a great day. Uh, a technician came out from uh, Higgins Concrete and uh, he needed to check the core test to make sure the MPA level of the 28-day strength wasn't too high because apparently the seismic engineer doesn't want the, you know, the stiffness of the concrete because he needs to make sure the load paths are transferring properly down to the column and not to the archways. You're not going to say that, are you? You're going to say, I poured some concrete in a hole today. It was really cool. <laughs> so get on the level physically and mentally in order to connect with them. Cool? I've been back at work for a week and I'm like, <laughs> my left eye twitches when I work too much. But so, and and the other thing is smile, laugh, you know, connect with them, be friendly, and do the above more than once in order to build familiarity and relationship. If you guys have kids, you might have a niece or a nephew. You know, you see them every six months, and every six months it's like you got to introduce yourself again to them because they haven't seen you, they don't know you, and then it's like another six months later, years, I'm your uncle, like. But the more you do it, for, sorry, uh, bit of a yeah. Anyway, um, but the more you do, um, the more you do it as much as possible, the familiarity grows, and you can build on what the progress that you've already made. So, a little practical tip there. Um, apologies to people who have children outside of New Zealand. <laughs> um, so, over time, where and as appropriate, this will then lead to fathering and mothering in the church. All right. I'm so blessed to have a, a father and a mother who love me and my family and pray for me, but I'm also really blessed to have father and mother figures uh, in this community as well. And over time, as you build that relationship, it's so key for that to happen. Because as the cliche goes, it takes a village to raise a child, doesn't it? And it takes a church to raise a Christian. And that starts from little, little, little. It doesn't start from teenage years. So you can begin to connect with them now in order to be a brother, in order to be an aunt, in order to be a grandma, in order to be whatever it is that you're gifted to be to bless our children. Another one is uh, share your passions and talents with the kids as you find common ground with them. You know, what are your hobbies? What do you like to do? Because the kids would like to do similar things as well. An example of this is when Rachel and uh, Simon come around to our place, you will always find Lucy and Rachel in the garden talking about the awesome carrots that she's growing, or the amazing things, they just connect on that level. Now, Rachel doesn't talk about the pH level in the soil or anything like that, but, but it's just a basic, simple level to connect with the kids. So, what do you like doing? Find out what the kids like doing. Drawing, collecting stuff, dancing, baking, decorating, gardening, building things, whatever it is, find it and connect with them on that level. If you have a if you have an ounce of social ability, when you go in a social setting, you will try and find common ground with somebody in order to connect with them, won't you? Do you like sailing? Do you like music? You know? Do you like art? Whatever it is. And you will even find out things about that topic just so that you can connect with that person better. I once read a book about a sailor got sailing around the world just because I wanted to read it, and I don't know how many conversations I've had with people who actually sail 
who have, have, you know, have actually been able to say, hey, have you heard of this guy? Wow, conversation strikes off and you hit a real uh, you know, connection with them. It's the same with the kids. Wow, I like collecting things too. Now, you might not collect Shopkins, which are these little choke hazard of a toys, uh, but, uh, but you go, I like collecting things too. Wow, that's so cool. Stuff like that, all right? Now, the next one, just to keep rambling on, I'm enjoying this, so if you guys enjoy this, I'll keep going. This is more a mindset thing. Accept and celebrate the fact it's not just multicultural, but it is also multi-generational. I touched on this earlier. The church is equally multi-generational as it is multicultural. Now, this doesn't mean adults for generations to come. <laughs> it means all generations for generations to come. And so, as a result, the church is just as much their stomping ground as it is us adults. And so we create an environment where they can be nurtured and grown and connected with. Now, this leads to another practical tip I thought was really good from the crew. Be patient and accepting of disruption. Be patient and accepting of disruption. Now, I thought about this one and I thought, well, what do I really think about this? And in my mind I thought, well, my heart reaction to when a kid is kicking and screaming or making a lot of noise it's probably a little bit different than the practical response as to when that happens. So, you know, I've worked hard to prepare this preach and, you know, like, and I really want to communicate it well because there's a good reason for it. And if there was a kid having a meltdown, you might actually just, you know, take them out the back and, and deal with that appropriately uh, because there's great resources out there and they've got great classes out there. Um, just as you would if an adult did that, you know, like, you know, if an adult started kicking and flailing his arms, you might sort of say, okay, well, let's go and, and deal with this. But that is different than my heart reaction to when that happens. If there's someone kicking and screaming and I think, and I get a sort of uh, jerk reaction of, you know, nuisance, uh, you know, out of place, uh, what a pain in the butt, that sort of thing, then that's something that I probably need to check and say, actually, we love these children, they're part of our family. And so in my heart reaction, it is patience and acceptance, and then leave it to the adults or other people to probably deal with that distraction. I don't know, you guys might agree or disagree with that, but that's probably the way I see it anyway. And so it's harboring a heart that is loving of these children and accepting that part of a family is having a bit of noise and a bit of mess around the place. Now, you could go one step further if you're a little bit bold and not disconnect with the, with the children, but connect with families. That's a key way. Uh, to do that. A lot of families with young children uh, really struggle to connect socially because, well, they're just trying to eat and sleep and survive. So invite them around for a meal and accept the carnage. <laughs> now, you might get the valuables, put them up high, put those little sockets in the wall, get the vivids and put them away somewhere. Uh, don't pad the walls, it's a bit patronising. But, um, but really engage not just with the, with the children but with the parents as well. Have them around for a meal. And there's lots of people in this church that we've had lunch with and things like that, and now the, our kids just feel so welcome with and they would consider family. And the last thing I would say is, if you're really up for the challenge, sign up for kids' work. Sign up to help us on a Sunday morning to cater for these kids. Now, with that, you might say, well, I'm not much of a kid's helper worker. Well, there's probably very few people who really would incline themselves that way, but it is just as much about washing people's feet and helping in ways that you might not consider yourself to be, you know, uh, skilled and equipped in, as it is about, you know, actually doing those things that you love to do. And let's be honest, set up 
and kids work are probably the two ministries that get you know, the least amount of volunteers because they are the areas that require the biggest sacrifice. To set up, you're the first person here and you're the last person to leave. That's a sacrifice. To help with the kids, you are here and you're out the back looking after the kids. And so you miss sermons and, and half of the worship and things like that. And that takes a bit of sacrifice. But here's the thing. If we don't have enough people to do it, these, ki- these people who absolutely love our kids will do it, and they'll do it, and they'll do it, and they'll do it, until weeks go by, and sometimes three, four weeks can go by, just being honest with you, uh, where they're out the back and not part of you know, the, the main church service. And so I'd encourage you, you want to wash someone's feet, you want to serve them, you want to bring out that new telescope and look through it, hey, why don't you sign up for kids' work and help the crash, help the young kids. The only requirement is that you are police vet checked, uh, other than that, you just need a heart to want to help and serve the kids. And we won't throw you in the deep end. It could just be that you're playing with the, uh, the crash kids with some toys or something like that. So, so that is some really neat practical ways. So thanks to the, uh, to, the, to the Kids Work team for sharing those with me. And I would say it's as you value kids, it's as you really truly connect with them, let them clamber and climb all over you, then you'll discover what it really means to be childlike in your faith and inheriting the kingdom through a simple and childlike way. You will find amazing things like kids are liberated and fun. It was only yesterday that me and Lucy were tumbling around and had Becca in such hysterics that she had a drink. I hope you don't mind me sharing this. She had a drink and Lucy had like climbed in my t-shirt and popped her head out the top of me pretending to be like, yeah, and Becca saw her and all the drink went everywhere. That's just so much fun to be around. Children are not conscious of other people. They don't, they're not governed by other people's opinions. Lucy's little friend, he comes around to our house. He needs to go toilet. Well, he'll just go onto our front lawn and down his pants, and then he'll go back and he'll carry on playing again. He doesn't care what other people think about it. And do you know what? That's really freeing and liberating in a lot of ways. I'm not saying that you go toilet on your front lawn. I'm just saying, wouldn't it be great more and more to be less conscious of other people's opinions of us and, and letting, you know, uh, other things drive our, our, you know, our actions. Here's a good one. You discover things like that kids are the ultimate icebreakers. They are the ice smashers. You might say they smash everything. But we were on the plane and we were landing from Timaru, uh, well, we were flying from Timaru to Wellington back from holiday. And while the t- um, plane was waiting to taxi, there's Evelyn and I've got her on my lap and she's just kicking and squirming. So we put her in the aisle and just let her walk up and down the aisle for a bit. And she is just warming the hearts of all of the people in the plane, checking the seatbelts, waving, saying hi. We could have struck up a conversation with any one of those people and invited them around for lunch because she's just the ultimate icebreaker. They are so much fun. They connect people. You can learn so much from them that they bring joy. Now here's one. You discover that in your nurturing of children, you are being missional. Now, we think of missional, being missional and evangelism and all that sort of thing in very three-dimensional terms, you know. Uh, you might say uh, Judea, Jerusalem, and to the ends of the earth. What can we do now to reach people in our community now? But nurturing children is being missional in a fourth dimension, and that's time. The Bible says that children are like an arrow in the, in the, in the hand of a warrior. In other words, they fly places that you will never be able to go. They will go to communities, to societies, to an age that you will physically not be able to enter because you will either be in the grave or close to it, all right? They are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. And so you want to talk about, you know, you want to, we want to reach Poirua. 
I want to say we want to reach Wellington, and not just in this generation, but in three generations to come and beyond. And part of that begins now in how we love and nurture our children and include them in church life. You're being very missional by being out the back and nurturing the children. So, I want to leave you, as time has gone, with a key prophetic word that's been spoken over this church. I took a sort of a chunk of it. I want to read this out to you and just let it sink in uh, and reflect on it uh, before I wrap up. You are to keep setting your sights on leaving a generational legacy that far outlasts you and your lifetime. God says build a church that is an intergenerational church that will outlast you and last for generations to come. Build a church that your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren will enjoy being in, says the Lord. I promise that this is a church where multiple generations will dance together, says the Lord. This will be a hallmark and a characteristic of what I do among you. Multiple generations dancing together, praising the Lord. You know, that starts with us now. That's something in, far from the future, but it actually starts with the little decisions that we make now. Jesus loved children and connected with them and welcomed them and as a result opened a whole new way of seeing, seeing his kingdom and he is calling us to the same invitation. Shall we stand and I'll pray and then we'll close.